Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. to start out this morning with a very serious question. I know that's not how I usually start out, so bear with me. Very serious question. What do apple fritters, <laughs> late night cookie dough, um, funny videos of people falling down, um, and the bachelorette have in common? They're all my guilty pleasures. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? So that wasn't very serious, actually. I, I, I just want to bring up guilty pleasures this morning, and I want to ask you to think about, uh, what are your guilty pleasures? If we said, hey, let's, let's talk about it, let's get it out there, what are your guilty pleasures? If you're online, maybe you want to type in right now into the chat what your guilty pleasure is. Be somewhat appropriate, please, okay? And maybe you want to talk with somebody about your guilty pleasures later today. But we all have guilty pleasures. It's a really interesting phenomenon that we even have that phrase within our cultural context these days. It's not actually that uncommon for somebody to ask you, what is your guilty pleasure? It's actually kind of a funny way of engaging with you about things that you're kind of embarrassed by, things that you don't want to admit. But it also gives us an insight into how our culture thinks about temptation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about temptation as we continue our series, Faith That Works, walking through the book of James. Last week, Bob shared with us about trials. He said, when we come through trials, when we encounter trials, we need to stand firm. We need to persevere and that it will build us. It will mature us. It will bring us to completeness. And so, uh, James is building upon that thought of temptation as he transitions in uh, chapter 1, verses 13, when he talks about temptations. See, what he wants to unpack for us this morning is this. Every temptation is a trial, but not every trial is a temptation. Every temptation is a trial, but not every trial is a temptation. You're going to have lots of trials in your life, but some of them specifically are temptations. 
That's what we want to talk about this morning. And I want to ask this question because James asked this question. He engages with this question, which is this. Where do temptations come from? Where do temptations come from? Do they come from our nurture? Do they come from how we were brought up by our parents, the environment, the home that we were brought up in? Do they come from nature? Maybe we were born with certain things and temptations spur within us because of our genetic makeup, because of our DNA. Maybe they're from our environment. Maybe they're from our circumstances. Where do temptations come from? Here's how James answers that question for us in James 1, chapter 13. We're going to just walk through this passage together this morning to learn. James says this, when tempted, so I want to stop right there. He doesn't say if tempted. He says when tempted. Just like trials are going to come, temptations are going to come. We live in a world that is actually saturated by temptations. That's why we have phrases like guilty pleasure. So when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. They are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. What James wants to say to answer the question about where does temptation come from, he wants to say this, it comes from inside of you. It comes from inside of us. Let me give you another translation. James would say this, you're the problem. Welcome to church. Okay? I know, super uplifting. It's going to get worse. All right? Just fair warning. Okay? So, okay? Just hang on. Buckle in. Because what he is saying is that we are dragged away by temptations that are within us. And we don't want to agree with that. Some of us right now online and in the room are like, no, 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 no. You don't understand my circumstance. You don't understand the family I was born into. You don't understand. You don't understand. No, no, no. And, and James would just disagree with you. He would say, no, no, no. You don't, you don't get to blame somebody for your temptations. Temptations come from within side of you. Here's why we know this. So in the beginning, that's how this book starts. If you're unfamiliar with it, starts Genesis 1 in the beginning. There is this incredible creation story. God creates a garden, puts the man and the woman in it to work it, to take care of it. They're in perfect harmony and relationship with each other and with God. And it only takes them till the third chapter to screw it all up, okay? That's it. The third chapter and they mess it all up. The account goes like this. A serpent comes and says to Eve, hey, I heard you got to deal with God. You get to do anything in the garden, but you can't eat from that one specific tree. Some people would say, yeah, see, he should never put that tree. See, God was tempting them. No, 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 no. God wasn't tempting them. God always gives you a choice. He always gives you a choice. And so the tempter, the deceiver, Satan, the snake, says to the woman, hey, see that fruit? It looks really good 
for you. My translation says this. The serpent said, hey, Eve, you should eat that and you'll be the best version of yourself. Does that sound familiar? What the serpent says to her is God is withholding something from you. And that if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like God. He appeals to her vanity. He he appeals to her selfishness. He, He appeals to something inside of her that she thinks, oh, this could be good, but he's lying to her. She's already made in the image and likeness of God. She's already made in that image. She doesn't need anything more, but the deceiver deceives her and deceives her husband who's standing right next to her for all the guys who are like, well, Adam was off on his own and Eve got deceived. No, listen, Adam was right there being quiet, being passive like you have been this week. Okay, that was for somebody. Anyway, okay. Look at that scripture later. All right. He was right there. Come on. Being deceived together. Not being deceived by something out there, something up there, but something inside. That's how Satan deceived the man and the woman. He appealed to something inside of them. That's where temptations come from. What's even more revealing about this story is that once it has happened, Adam and Eve, they go hide. God comes walking in the garden and he comes and says to them, hey, where are you guys? And, and, and they say, hey, we, 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 we're ashamed because we, we know we're naked. This is the first moment of shame in the world, right? Now they should have felt guilty. Guilt is fine. They screwed up. Guilt is good, okay? Shame isn't. They are ashamed and hiding from God, and God, God says to them, what happened? And, and it, classic, you can look this up, it's, it's hilarious. Genesis three, the woman literally goes, Satan made me do it. <laughs> That's what she says. she says. And so then God's like, what? And then God goes to Adam and says, hey, Adam, what happened? And Adam's like, woman made me do it, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, this is how it goes. We want to blame others for our temptations. Here's what I want to encourage you this morning. You need to take responsibility for your temptations. This is not popular. I'm just telling you right now. I'm going to get emails. I'm okay with that. This is not a popular thinking because we're going to talk this morning about how temptations are from sin. That's what happens in Genesis 3 is that sin happens and the ripple effect has affected us ever Sense, and I've heard people say, do you really believe that story? Like a talking snake and naked people out in the garden. You really believe that? Yes, I do. You want to know why? How was I born? Naked. How are you born? Naked. Did you have to figure out how to sin? I didn't either. Isn't that interesting? Nobody ever had to teach me how to lie. I figured it out all on my own, right? They had to teach me how not to Lie. Nobody had to teach me how not to share. I learned that all on my own. What people had to teach me was how to share. People didn't teach, teach me how to be mean. I knew how to be mean. People needed to teach me how to be nice. So, you're the problem. Let's keep going. 
James chapter 1, 15, I promised it was gonna get worse. It says this, then after desire has conceived. So, so we're drug away. This is such a painted picture by James. Like sin is dragging us away. Temptation is pulling us by our hair, okay? It's dragging us away. So after that happens, then after desire has conceived, okay? It's going in some birthing terminology here. After desire has become conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James is, is painting a very visual picture for us that we, we know this picture. It's, it's the picture of the birth of a child. And it's this grotesque picture of the birth of a child with James. What he's giving us a picture of is the picture of the birth of death. What he's trying to teach us is the steps to destruction. He's trying to explain to us what are the steps to destruction. He would say there's three steps to destruction and these are the three steps. We entertain temptation. So we play around with temptation. We don't run away from temptation. We entertain temptation. And that gives birth to sin. Full-fledged sin in our lives, it gives birth to sin and then that grows up and matures into death. Sin is not something to be managed. I know it's not popular to talk about sin these days. I get it, but we're gonna talk about it this morning. Sin will kill you. Sin is not something you play around with. It wants to destroy you. It wants to ruin you. It wants to kill you. That's all that sin is consumed with is destroying you. And you need to understand this if you want to understand what a Christian life is all about. You need to understand the natural progression of sin. So let me give you some examples, all right? I'm gonna try to offend everybody so we're all in the same boat, okay? Okay, here we go. Hold on. So, so I've had this example in my office. Um, some guy who says, oh, I just, I, I, you know, I'm married, but I, I heard, she's an old flame and she popped up on social media. And so we just started talking and it was harmless and it was fine. And, and, and then she like, and then I heard she went through a really messy divorce. And so I was like, hey, maybe we should hang out sometime. And I didn't tell my wife about it, but it was okay. We're just gonna catch up. And, and suddenly there's a birth a birth of sin. And, and, and listen, no, nobody ended up in somebody else's bed on accident. And, and then you know what happens usually in that progression? Then there's a divorce. You know what divorce is like? It's like death. That's what it's like. You talk to anybody who's been through divorce, divorce is like a death. Okay, um, money. Say, oh, I'm just gonna... I'm gonna, I'm gonna just entertain temptation about cheating a little bit with my money. I'm just not gonna be fully honest about my money. I'm just gonna do that little teeny deal. It's gonna be fine. Nothing's gonna happen. Just gonna entertain that temptation. And then suddenly you are running a corrupt company. And you're hiding money and you're playing games that you know you shouldn't be doing. And then guess what? It gets found out. 
and you suddenly get bankrupt. Your, your business goes under, or maybe you don't even get caught, but inside of you, you're dying because you know that it's broken. It's all forfeit. It's all corrupt. And you can't barely live with yourself in the midst of that. Let's get real, okay? I like food, okay? I, um, this is something pastors don't like to talk about. Like, there's, there's a lot of overweight pastors. I'm just gonna be honest, okay? We don't like, oh no, seriously, we don't like to talk about this. Like, I like food too much sometimes. And, and if I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have that third piece of cheesecake, right? I'm gonna have that pizza. I'm gonna have that dessert. I'm gonna have some nachos. Listen, it's all, it's all fun and good until like I'm 50 pounds overweight. And I go into the doctor and the doc says, hey man, you, you might die. And then, and then 600,000 people a year in the United States die from obesity. Like we're not shutting down McDonald's over that. Well, that's weird, right? Like we're really concerned about, and we should be concerned about other things health-wise. But listen, that's the progression. I know that's not popular, but that's the progression Social media, okay, we'll get real. Tell me how many hours you were on social media this past week. Be honest, right? You're like, no way, Pastor Brian, I'm telling you that, right? And so you consume, you're like, I'm just gonna scroll for 15, 20 minutes, an hour. And then, and then like you, you've scrolled for three, four, five. The average Gen Z child, I just heard the statistic this week, they're guessing that the average Gen Z child will spend between seven to 10 years of their life on a screen. So, so an hour goes into three to four, maybe five hours a day. And, and then suddenly like you wake up going, my, my life feels worthless. And man, my life doesn't look as good as her life looks. And oh man, there's another political ad and that makes me depressed. And, and then there's another friend of mine. I didn't know he had that view and that makes me more depressed and something inside of you dies. I could go on and on and on, but I want to just say to you, what's the progression in your life? Like sin is not meant to be played around with. Sin is out to destroy you, to kill you. We, we don't mess around with sin. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you get to hate one thing. You get to hate sin. You don't get to hate other people. You don't get to hate your enemies, but you get to hate sin. And you want to get rid of it in your life because it will kill you. That is the natural step to destruction. And so James continues. He says, so what do we do with that? natural progression to death. What do we do with that? How do we deal with that? He says this, verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived, right? That is Satan's native tongue to deceive you. And you like to deceive yourself. You like to tell yourself, it's gonna be okay. I can figure this out. It's gonna be all right. Instead, you're being drugged by your feet, kicking and screaming out the door by sin. James would say, don't be deceived. 
My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He's so full of light, there's not even a hint of shadow within him. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. So James gives us an alternative picture. He says temptation, when it's entertained, is to to kill us, to destroy us. But, But there's steps to life as well. And the steps to life go something like this. We need to endure temptation. We need to stand firm in the midst of temptation. We need to flee from temptation. Like some of you need to stop playing around with temptation and walk away from it, right? Like we have a very young church and I love that. I love that, I love that. But listen, like if you think you can just keep playing around, sleeping around and not lose your soul, you're, you're just lying to yourself and you're hurting people along the way. But if you endure temptation, you flee from temptation, you say, I'm not gonna live like the rest of the world, you will receive a birth in truth where there is no shifting shadows. Don't you need that in your life right now? I feel like there's shifting shadows everywhere around us, but in God, it is all good and all pure and all true and all right. And we are given birth if we endure our temptations in Christ and then we will grow fruitfully. We won't grow to death. We will grow into those who produce more life. That's what being fruitful is all about. A fruitful tree is a tree that produces more life. This is the pattern that James is clarifying for us. He's saying, if you take these steps, these steps will be for life. You take those other steps, they're gonna be for death, but you take these steps, they're going to be for life. So if you say, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that one little shady business deal. In fact, I'm gonna live so far above reproach that it might hurt my business a little bit. And then you move on, you say, I'm, man, something seems like it gave birth within me. And I'm like, I actually start seeing my business, my money as God's business, God's money. And then you wake up going, man, my business has been fruitful and it's been fruitful for other people because I've seen that it's not mine, that it's God's and that we can do amazing things when we pool our resources. We raise $125,000 church for Advent conspiracy. That's what we do. That's the progression of life. When you, when you say, some, some young man in here, I want, I want you to hear this so bad, seriously. If you would say, I, I'm not married, but I'm gonna be committed to my wife right now, even though I don't even know who she is. Okay? Um, side note. Uh, uh, this is not prideful. I'm just telling you my story. I started writing letters to my uh, future wife when I was 18. My um, Bible teacher in high school said, hey, you should start writing letters to your future spouses in the class. And most everybody laughed at him, but I was like, oh, I think that's a good idea. So I did it. And on the day before our wedding, I got to give that book to Lori. 
And I got to look at her and say, I've never been with any other woman. Like, you're it. You're the one. You've always been the one. I got confused from time to time. I wasn't perfect along the way, but you've always been the one. Some guy in here, if you would say, listen, I'm gonna be committed to one woman right now, even though I'm single. Guess what that will do? That will, you will receive a birth. You will receive a birth of life from God himself. You will wake up without any uh, like thought of like, man, I just regret so many things. You won't have that in your life. And then guess what? You're gonna get married and it's gonna be fruitful. I'm telling you right now. Your wife is gonna love that. You saved yourself for her every single day. And, and listen, and even if you got a history, you can start that right now. You can start that trajectory right now. You can get healthy. Like I, I'm trying to lose some weight, so keep me accountable, okay? Like I wanna get, I wanna get healthy. Like I just turned 40 and it's getting harder to stay healthy. Like my body hurts for no reason. I don't even know why sometimes, right? So like, what I have to do is I have to eat a little bit better and I have to like, I have to create some habits of working out like once a week. That's a good start, okay? Don't judge me, okay? So, and then, and then you know what it's gonna do? It's gonna burst something in me. It's gonna burst something like I want to get healthy. Like my body needs me to get healthier and guess what? That's gonna produce a healthy life. It's gonna produce me being able to hike mountains that I may not be able to hike right now. It might, it's gonna produce me being able to run around with my kids and play with them in ways that maybe I couldn't do right now. It's gonna produce good fruit in my life. We need to endure temptation, receive birth in truth and grow fruitfully. One of the most misquoted scriptures is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. Jesus, Jesus went through this as well. He knows your story. He knows what it's like to have temptation in front of him. So no temptation has over, overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Here's, here's where it gets misquoted all the time. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you, when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. You can endure it. So the, the, the way that this gets put on coffee cups erroneously is God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that one? Guess what? Not in the Bible. Surprise, okay? That's not in the Bible. What it does say here is that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. He's gonna give you a way out so that you can endure temptation and you can live a full life. Here's the big idea. The road to temptation always leads to a dead end. The road to temptation always, always, always leads to a dead end. And I know it's not in the notes or on the screen, but the road to Jesus always leads to life. The road to temptation always leads to a dead end, but the road to Jesus always, always, always leads to life. If you play around with your temptations, if you flirt with your temptations, if you allow them to create life within you and birth something within you, that 
birth is going to always be death. It's always going to be a dead end. It's like getting to an intersection, looking down at an intersection, and you see the sign that says dead end, and you're like, nah, it'll be fine. We'll get through there. Google Maps says I can get through there. And then you get to the end, and you're like, ah, there actually was a dead end, because the sign said there was a dead end. James is warning us in this passage. Some scripture is encouraging Some scripture is prayer. Some scripture is poetry. Some scripture is history. This is a warning to us. Temptation will lead to death, but Jesus leads to life. This past summer, Bob and Peggy and and Brandon, I'm not going to ring Brandon into it because he didn't invite me. He just went. Um, I'm going to blame Bob and Peggy because <laughs> they were like, let's go hike the ridge. It'll be fun. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And then, and then I got there and realized this isn't going to be fun. So um, 20 grueling miles or so. I don't even know how many feet of elevation gain and loss. Uh, all I know is that I did the old um, couch to ridge diet. So like that was my workout plan. I was like Doritos and then the rich. That's so, and so um, I did a, a one hike uh, up Sacagawea Peak uh, the week before and thought, oh, that went pretty good. And then I got up there and realized this is, this is not great. And so um, I did complete it with about a thousand blisters on my feet. Um, but there was something that I remembered as I was writing uh, this sermon and it was, it was sort of this picture from uh, when we were up there. I took a little video, um, and, and, and before we play it, I, I just want to say this. So Jesus, when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, wide is the path to destruction, and many follow it. But narrow is the way to life, and few find it. Wide is the path to destruction and many find it, but narrow is the way to life and only a few find it. So we're up on the ridge and I'll show this to you. You can see the path right there and then like 3,000 foot drop and you can see the valley below, it's beautiful. And then you can see the path right there and then on the other side, 3,000 foot drop. And it's not like up there, you're going to step and then just fall off. It's not, it's not like that. You can take a couple steps off to the side and, and, and fall off, and, and, and that's not great, right? But, um, but, but there's a little give room, right? Like, like if I step here, I probably won't fall off. But if I keep, I keep going here, it's not going to be great eventually, right? And this is the picture James is, is painting for us. He's saying, stay on the narrow path. Like this is the path of truth. This is the path of Jesus. And you can walk on this path. And there's grace. You can step off of here and then you can turn around and get back on the path. You can turn and repent. That's what repent means, okay? This is why you say to your kids, I don't want to hear I'm sorry anymore until you do something different, right? That's actually what the word repentance means in Greek. It means to turn around and go in a different direction. So you can say, Jesus, I'm headed in this direction, the direction of destruction, but I can get back on the path by your grace, by your blood shed on the cross. That's what sin required. 
I can turn from that and I can get back on the path. And some of you are down there, 3,000 feet down and you're barely breathing and you're saying, I'm so far down there, Brian, you don't even know. Well, listen, Jesus can still go and get you. He can reach down, he can pull you up and he can put you on the path of life. You were made for life, not for death. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to enter into a time of confession. I want us, God, to take a moment and examine our own hearts. God, examine my heart. I know there are places that are broken, places where I'm tempted places where I don't see you clearly. I don't listen for your voice. Jesus, I confess that to you. We confess that to you. We're broken. We're sinful. And we're in need of you, Savior. Some of us, God, are consuming things we shouldn't and is leading us to destruction and we confess that to you. Some of us are living for the lusts of life and we confess that to you. Some in the room, God, have secret sins they don't want anybody to know about, but you know about them. God, we confess those to you. Some of us in the room are arrogant and proud and we think we got it all figured out. And we need to confess our pride to you. God, would you redeem us? Would you make us new? Would you pull up Pull us up out of, out of the chasm, off of the road, and, and put us back firmly on the narrow path. Let us lean into your arms. Let us know your goodness. Let us know your grace. Let us walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.